You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. This morning, we are uh, done Romans uh, 11, right? We got through that last weekend, and I thought... We were going to uh, look at Isaiah 59 this morning. That was kind of the original plan. I was going to go through Isaiah 59, and I was reminded on Monday why I really appreciate verse by verse going through the Bible, because if you're kind of in a topical, it's, it's the land left up to you, you know, as to what you're going to preach on. And as I prayed about it and thought about it, it's like, you know, I think Luke 1 actually would be a better text uh, to think about as we think about uh, what I'm calling the day that deliverance was delivered. All right, the day that deliverance was delivered. We, we celebrate the deliverance of a, uh, sorry, the delivery of a baby uh, at this time of year. We, we, we celebrate Christ coming to this earth and we understand him to be the deliverer. He came in a way that was uh, surprising, shocking. It, that God would come to his creation uh, is not a surprise. That God would uh, he, he, being the creator, would still have a hand in what was going on in this earth. Like, of course, that's not a surprise. But the way that he would come is really shocking, if you think about it. As we um, celebrate again this year, I, I, I pray that you would just, that the truths of Christ's coming would just, again, blow you away. That, that you would be led to worship. That you would be like, I, I, I still can't really get my mind around the fact that God... God who creates all took on flesh, literally took on flesh, that he became a baby, fully God, fully man. He who had absolute power and authority, he who still has absolute power and authority, that he would be a baby. I was just looking at a baby during that time, uh, during our meet and greet. I'm just like, like it doesn't have, every time you see, like there's, there's lots of them around, so just look, you know, like God there in, 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 in the form of a baby. And, and just, it should shock us that God would do that to uh, bring, come into this world as a form of a servant, to, to be born to an insignificant couple in a two-bit town in a stable. And it couldn't even, couldn't even be like in a normal setting of like in a home. It, it was in a stable. And, and so all these things should, should cause us to stop and wonder Cause us to stop and think about why is it that Jesus had to come? Why was it necessary that God would take on flesh? When, when was this plan developed? Was this like something God came up with 2,000 years ago? Who knew that Jesus' birth was coming? Why would God do this? What was the purpose of his coming? What are the results of his coming? As we think about Jesus coming, the, the, the results of what happened 2,000 years ago are still having an impact today and will for all of eternity. And so as we think about his birth, I want us to think specifically about deliverance. What did we need to be delivered from? Why did Christ have to come as a deliverer? And so these are the things we're going to be meditating on, thinking upon as we look at Luke 1 this morning and then on Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 2, 14, 18. If you want to do a little study on your own before we get there, Hebrews 2, 14, 18 on Christmas Eve. And as we do so, we're going to consider why the deliverer. And so before we get into it, let me pray for us and then we're going to get into it. God, we are so thankful that at this time of year, Lord, we have um, the opportunity, the the Lord, the, the, the chance, Lord, to just stop and consider that you, who is God, came to this earth so that, Lord, we might be delivered. And as we're going to study this morning, that we might be delivered from the power of sin, might be delivered from Satan, might be delivered from death, Lord, that we might have life. Lord, that we might be free to serve you. God, we are so thankful that it was your plan 
to save lost sinners. God, we, we want to bring you honor and glory in this season. God, we want to worship you for who you really are, not for who we want you to be. God, we want, Lord, your name to be lifted up this morning. God, help these amazing truths not to just be something that become commonplace in our hearts and minds, but Lord, may we be in awe of you once again this morning, Lord, as we study. God, help us to be better worshipers. God, help us to, to be conformed into your image as a result of our study this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at Luke 1, 67 to 79. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, we want everyone to be able to look down at God's Word together. And so if you don't have a copy of God's Word, just slip up your hand. And the ushers will be happy uh, to give you a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, just keep the one they're giving you. And uh, so Luke 1, 67 to 79. We read, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will be go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Four aspects of God's deliverance that we want to look at this morning. Four different aspects of God's deliverance. The first we see is the plan of deliverance. The plan of deliverance. This was not something that God came up with just 2,000 years ago. This was the plan all along. If we were to look at other scriptures, we would see that, that God had planned this salvation before the foundation of the world. But as we've seen, as we've just read, God had shown this plan to the prophets long ago. We read it in verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. His father Zechariah, okay, what's the context? This is the disadvantage of just hopping into a text. Who's he talking about here? Well, the, his, his father, John, he's talking about John here. And as we think about Zechariah, we need to Look back earlier in Luke chapter 1 where we find out that he is a high priest. A high priest who was serving at that about nine months earlier at the temple. And as he's at the temple, he's called to go and give offering at the altar of incense. Uh, they chose that by lot. And he goes in there and as he's there, an angel comes before him. In Luke chapter 1 verse 6, we find out that that he had been a righteous man. It says that both he and his wife Elizabeth had been righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. They had been faithful for many, many years. And we were told that they are, he and his wife are well advanced in years. That's a polite way of saying it, right? We would just say they're old, right? They're old. Yeah, past childbearing time. That was a heartache that they'd had, longing to have children but not ever having a child. And they had prayed and sought the Lord, but he had not answered. But as Zechariah comes into the temple, there's an angel standing there, and he tells Zechariah that they will have a child. At their age, they will have a child, and Zechariah's like, yeah, it's not happening. It's not right in the text, but that's the implication. Why do we know that? Because, because he does not believe. The angel's like, well, it is going to happen. But just so you know, here's the sign you're going to get. You're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to say anything 
until after your baby is born. And so he comes out of the temple. It's taken a little bit of time and everyone's like, <laughs> like what, what took so long? And they know something's happened because Zechariah can't explain with words what's happened. He's doing a whole lot of sign language, but he goes home afterwards and they become pregnant. If you, if you read through the story of Luke, and I would encourage you all to do that this week at some point with your family, read Luke, read Luke 1 and 2 about all these amazing events. We find out that Elizabeth's with child. While she's with child, then this gal by the name of Mary comes along and, and says, hey, God's visited me as well. And, and of course, we know that Mary has, is, 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 was, a, was a virgin birth, that, that um, she has... Uh, she's with child, and this child will be the Messiah. And so we have the prophet and the Messiah who've come to the earth within months of each other. And it's been nine months. The baby is born. And everyone is like, okay, what's the name of the child? On the eighth day, this is when they name the child. And, and uh, Elizabeth says that the name of the child will be John. And all the relatives and neighbors who are there is like, eh, that's not right. Uh, that's John. Where'd that come up with? His name should be Zechariah. And Zechariah was like, get me a writing tablet. Okay. He didn't have an iPad. So they had to get something. And he writes out and it says his name is John. And then his mouth is opened. And as his mouth is opened, what we've just read is the things, are the things that have come out of his mouth. Everyone is anticipating. Like this is, this kid's not a normal kid. His parents... Well, they shouldn't have been able to have a child, but they have one. And dad hasn't been able to speak for the last nine months. So everyone's anticipating, well, what will, what's going to happen with this child? And, and so what we would expect is that Zechariah, the first thing he's going to talk about is his son. But he doesn't talk about his son to begin with. He talks about the Messiah who's coming. We see here that as he speaks, he's not speaking out of his own wisdom. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what he's about to say is from God. And he says this in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. This phrasing, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, it's, it's in several different places in the Old Testament. Every time it's there, it's, it's bringing thanksgiving. The NIV is translated, praise be to the Lord. This is the idea. There's, there's praise, there's thanksgiving going out to the Lord God of Israel. Psalm 72, 18 says this, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. What a great verse. Who alone does wondrous things. And the wondrous things that he is doing here is that he is visiting the earth. This is what we read in verse 68. For he has visited and redeemed his people. There's, there's a, it's in past tense, so there's a little bit of, okay, well, what's going on here? He has visited and redeemed his people. Well, the Messiah was already conceived. He has visited his people. Or you could think of it as, in times past, he's come. When he has visited his people, it's either been in judgment We'll see, we see in different places in the Old Testament, or it's to bring blessing and grace. And of course, in this case, he's coming to bring blessing, and his coming was going to be unique. As we're going to read it, the, the prophecy about him coming is that God is coming to this earth in a way that he has never come to this earth before. And as he comes, he, he brings deliverance. This word for redemption, it's to release, to set free with an implied analogy to the process of freeing a slave. And so it's been translated to set free, to liberate, to deliver in deliverance. God is visiting this earth to bring deliverance. What an awesome truth that we need to, to grasp at this time of year. Now, Zechariah is a high priest. He knows his scriptures well. And with the deliverance, with the Messiah coming, there is this expectation that they will be freed politically as well. And, and as I was studying this week, there's this like, there's this wrestling going on. So is it political or is it spiritual? And the answer I came up with is yes. 
There is going to be and has not yet been political deliverance. When the Messiah comes, he will reign over this earth. We've been reading about it in Romans chapter 11. When he comes, he's going to set up his throne and he will first bring judgment and then he will banish all ungodliness and all the world will come and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's going to be an awesome day. It's coming. But that has not yet come. But as Zechariah is writing this, he doesn't know there's a part one and a part two. There's a first coming and a second coming. And in the first coming, he is dealing with the spiritual oppression. Christ will deal with the spiritual oppression. And then later, he will deal deal with the political oppression. So when he comes, he will redeem his people. He will set them free. As we've already read, we see later in the verses, there's going to be a setting free from sin setting free from Satan, setting free from all our spiritual enemies. So what is the plan? Whose family will this this Messiah be born to? We see this in verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. A horn of salvation. What does that mean? It's not something we kind of like, Was it like a trumpet? Like, what are we talking about here? Well, as you read the Old Testament, once again, you see this this analogy, this metaphor being used over and over again. A horn represented power. Just as certain animals would use their horns as a weapon to, 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 to overcome their enemy, this has been applied to God's people. That he would, that he, that, sorry, to, as a symbol of power. So in other words, he, he's going to bring salvation powerfully is another way that we could look at this. He'll bring salvation powerfully. But notice first it says that he has raised up. Again, that phrasing we see again and again in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, you see over and over again the people turning away from God and then suffering the consequences of their sin and then crying out to God. And as a result of that, God would raise up a deliverer. Different judges over and over again. If you look at Judges 3, you'll see it right in the early pages there. You see several examples of that. If you want to look at that for yourself later. But God is raising up a deliverer. An interesting a passage to study as well, if you're interested. The Psalm 132, 17 and 18. Psalm 132, 17 and 18. It says this. Then I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. God is going to raise up a deliverer through the line of David, through the house of David. This has been prophesied long ago that this would be the plan. This is why it's so important when you read Matthew 1 about the genealogy. It's like, why is this here? Because you need to understand that he came from the line of David in fulfillment of the prophecies. We know just by living here on this earth, if someone is to be delivered, someone has to be powerful in order to come, the one who is uh, oppressing, right? And so a powerful deliverer is coming. We're told that he's coming from the line of David. Centuries and centuries have passed uh, since the covenant with Abraham and, and all Abraham and his descendants have shown is that they need a deliverer. As we studied the book of Romans, we, we see that we are enslaved in our sin, that, we, that we, we are unable to do the things we ought to do. We need a deliverer. And as Zechariah wrote these things, of course, they, they had the oppression of Rome, but of course, he had also seen the oppression of sin in his people. God has a plan. It's important that you and I remember that in 2021. Anybody else 
like starting to lose your mind, you know, as you watch the news over and over again, you're just kind of like, what's going on? You know, like how much longer can these things go on? And, 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 and we see the wickedness in this world and the darkness of this world as, as, as the world calls wrong right and right wrong. And, and, and you're like, what, what's going to happen? And, and we need to remember what? God has a plan. God has a plan. And he's working his plan out day in and day out. December 19th, 2021, God is working his plan out. Do you need to be reminded of that this morning? Just as he said he would come 2,000 years ago and bring about a deliverance, he is working today and our King of kings and Lord of lords is returning someday soon. In the meantime, let us keep our eyes upon him, remembering he is powerful and he's over all these things. And he has a plan, a plan of deliverance. I'm praying that everyone here is like, yeah, I know the plan of deliverance personally. I, I remember the time in my life where I was delivered from my sin. We've seen the plan of deliverance. We see in verses 70 to 73 the promise of deliverance. God has promised these things long ago. We read in verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, there, there was going to be a deliverer through the line of David. He's been talking about these things. He's been reminded of these things. As, the, as Alex read just, just a few minutes ago in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, there's going to be a deliverer come. This one who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, He's coming. There will be the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of, his David, of David and over his kingdom. Again, this pointing to he's going to be coming from the line of David. And he's going to bring peace to this earth. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. All these things are being fulfilled. And Zechariah is saying, he's here, he's coming. And my son, he's going to talk about his son in just a moment. My son's going to have a, a, a major play in all of this. From Moses to Malachi, God has been promising these things. And as we were reminded last weekend, when God says something is going to happen, it happens. We don't have to doubt whether or not he has the power to do it or, or whether he has the means to do it. God will bring about all that he says he will do. And he talks further about what this deliverance would, will look like. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our, from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. We'll finally be freed of, of all our enemies and all those who hate us. And again, we need to think both spiritually and physically. There is coming a day when there will be no one against you. That day is not here yet. But spiritually, our enemies have been taken care of. That we've been saved from our spiritual enemies and from all who hate us. This term for salvation itself, it means deliverance or preservation, whether it be physical preservation of death, deliverance of a nation, or the spiritual deliverance of salvation before God. As we're going to look in the later verses, uh, in verse uh, 78, 79, we're going to be saved from our sins as a result of Christ's coming. And one day, all who are opposed to God and who hate his people will be judged when the Messiah returns. I've been soaking in Revelation all year, 2021. I think I'm going to hit repeat for 2022 and, and expand my study. But as, I, as you look at that, there, things are going to not get better. Things are going to get worse. There's going to be a lot of people martyred for the sake of the king. But as, he, as that happens, many people will be saved. And then the king will return. The Messiah will return. And then all will be judged. And... As we read last week, unrighteousness will be banished. But in Christ's first coming, he, he brought about a spiritual victory over Satan, sin, and death. Those 
enemies of ours have been defeated in Christ's coming. In Christ's coming, we read about why he needed to come in verses 72 and 73. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. The Lord's sending of the Messiah demonstrates God's mercy. This is what he's saying. His sending demonstrates God's mercy. Why? Because God is a merciful God. His coming reminds us that he is faithful. That he is faithful to the covenant that he made with his servant Abraham. Bach says here, it refers to God's bringing his promise into operation, this remembering. The phrase could well be rendered to act or affect his holy covenant. God's acting for his covenant should encourage Luke's readers that he will act on the rest of his promises. And so God is fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant as he comes. The covenant which we read in Genesis 22, 17 and 18. God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall be possessed. Now listen, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So in the first coming, Satan is defeated. The chains of sin are broken. But one day, all God's enemies will be defeated. But it began with Christ's first coming. Salvation is coming, just as he promised. He does it every time. He fulfilled all that he said he would in his first coming. And in his second coming, we anticipate exactly the same thing. So we've seen the plan, the promise. Next we see the product of deliverance. The product of deliverance. Verse 74 says this, that we, again, thinking of context, specifically first of Israel, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah, as a true Israelite, anticipates God's deliverance through the Messiah that is coming. Now, we've had the benefit of studying Romans. And we know not, not all Israel is Israel, but the true Israel are those who have placed their faith in him, those who are his children. And those people are being delivered from their enemies by the coming of Christ. In verse 73, we said that, said that they might grant first. It says that, we might, that he might grant that we be, deli be, be delivered from the hand of our enemies. In other words, it's a gift of God. This deliverance is a gift of God. That we would be free from old tyrants whose only goal is to destroy us. This morning, thanks, Matt. This morning... I want everyone to hear that you have enemies. You're like, oh yeah, do you know Bob? Okay, that's not who I'm talking about. Every one of us have enemies. Enemies, spiritual enemies. Sin, Satan, and death. When you're born on earth, this earth, these are the three enemies that you inherit right from the beginning. We could add, I guess, also your flesh. But they all battle against you and ultimately they all will destroy you if not for a deliverer. This is why Christ had to come. We needed to be delivered from our enemies. Why? What is the product of this deliverance? That I might be free to do whatever I would want to do? Is that what the deliverance would result in? Okay, now I'm no longer, Satan no longer, I'm no longer a child of Satan. I'm no longer enslaved in my sin. So now I get to do whatever I want to do. Not, that's not how it works. When you are delivered, when you are redeemed, you're now then the possession of the one who has redeemed you, praise God. And as a result of that, we get to, did you see in verse 74? 
that we might serve him. He's gifted us, he's granted us the opportunity to serve him without fear. This idea without fear, it's without oppression, it's without, without, without hindrance. When you, tried to, when you try to serve God, you know, before, before you come to Christ, you have this idea that there's a God. Romans 1 says that we all know that there's a God. You have this idea, and you're like, okay, I guess I better try to serve him. But you're hindered in every way. You, you try to do good things. But if you are to look at, you do an autopsy on those good things, ultimately they're all out of a wicked heart. You're doing them so that others might think you're a good person and also so that God might think you're a good person. But guess what? God already knows your heart. You're not a good person. You're a wicked person who desperately needs a deliverer. And so you could not, even though you tried, as we read in Romans, you tried to please God, but you failed over and over and over again. In fact, Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we needed to be delivered from that. And this is why Christ has come. So that we might serve him without hindrance. You see, when God saves us, he delivers us from the chains of sin. We need to be reminded of that on a daily basis. We can doubt, like Zechariah doubted, that that is the case. We, we, we start kind of, you know, like, well, I'm never going to be free of this thing. That's not true. In Christ, he is conforming you into his image. And you need to look to him over and over again. If you have a certain sin issue in your life, you look to him. He has freed you. Walk by the power of the Spirit and not according to your flesh and experience the victory that God wants for you. When God frees us, he equips us. He's made you a new creation. He's given you a new heart and a new mind. He's filled you with his Spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you the body of Christ that you might walk in freedom. And as you walk in freedom, it says here that you walk in holiness and righteousness. You are set apart from this world. Is that true of you this morning? You are walking in a, in a way that is different than the world. You are walking in obedience to the word of God. When, when God saves you, when he frees you, he gives you Christ's righteousness. And so we are justified before him. But then there's this process of sanctification where we die to self and we walk in newness of life. And so this is what we're free to do this Christmas. That's, it's a gift that God has given you. The greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. The greatest gift that anyone has received or will ever receive on this earth is the gift to be free to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I don't know what you're giving one another for Christmas this year, but it pales in comparison. You understand that, right? I don't care if you were given all the gold in the world. It pales in comparison to the freedom to be able to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. No longer oppressed by your enemy, Satan. We don't need to cower before Satan any longer. No longer like, oh, I don't know, like, he's pretty strong. Yeah, he is strong. So what do I do? Submit to God. And I resist the devil and what? He has to flee from me, James 4. So I, I don't have to cower. I don't, I don't have to fear. I can walk in, 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 in freedom every day because of what Christ has done. Because the deliverer was sent to this earth. Because God took on flesh. We've been freed from our sins. We're able to do what it says in Romans 
Chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you. You are free. Let us live accordingly. And as we walk in this freedom, let us anticipate what is to come. Well, what J.C. Ryle had to say. He said, let us give all diligence to belong to the kingdom. As small as it seems now, it will be great and glorious one day. The men and women who have served God in holiness and righteousness shall one day see all things put under them. Every enemy shall be subdued and they shall reign forever in that new heaven and earth wherein righteousness dwells. It's coming God promised it, it's coming. For now we have victory over our spiritual enemies and one day there will be no one to hinder us as we reign with Christ. What a great and awesome day that will be. May that joy fill your heart even today as we anticipate that His coming. We've seen the plan, we've seen the promise, we've seen the product. Lastly, we see the provision of deliverance, the provision of deliverance. Zechariah now talks about the events that are coming right there and then in his day. He finally starts to talk about his son. He says here, and you child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Can you just picture it? Picking up his eight-day-old son and looking at him. Such a, such a beautiful picture, isn't it? And full of faith, full of the Spirit, anticipates the great things that God has for his son. He will not be a normal child. He will not have a normal life. As we read on in the Gospels, we find out that he lives in the wilderness. He's eating locusts and honey. And he's got a message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's calling people out to repent. And he's telling them that they must be forgiven their sins. He's doing that to prepare the way for Jesus who's coming soon after him. We know, of course, as we read the Gospels, John goes before him, he serves earlier, and then Jesus in his 30s comes, and when as he comes, John looks at him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We still need that hope today to be saved from our sins. We are saved only through repentance. John was prophesied about in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Before he, he comes, before the world sees Jesus serving and, 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 and doing incredible miracles and, and, and teaching about the way of salvation. Before that day, John comes and he preaches repentance and people are baptized, indicating their desire to turn from their sin and place their trust in God. John would serve the Lord, the Lord. He would serve the Most High Anybody who does not believe that Jesus was God has not read Luke 1, 77 to 78, 76 to 77, sorry. Right? It's clear. He's the Most High. That's who he's coming to serve. The Most High. The one who was above all. God himself. And he's going to serve the Master, the Messiah, the Lord, to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. He will teach 
and prepare the hearts of people for the new covenant that Jesus is bringing. The new covenant that says in Jeremiah 31, 34, and no longer shall each teach his neighbor and, his, and, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What an awesome, awesome, awesome covenant the Lord has brought. Forgiveness of sins, our greatest enemy defeated. The way of salvation is through repentance. To repent, what? Is to turn in the opposite direction. It's to confess that I am a sinner. If you want to be made right with God this morning, the beginning is understanding that you are not basically a good person, that you are a sinner. This is what you must grasp first. Holy grasp. That you are a sinner and that you deserve damnation for your sin, that you have walked in rebellion against him. But as you recognize that, may God open your eyes to see that there is a deliverer. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the one that these passages speak of. And if you would turn and place your trust in him, then you might have salvation. Have you repented of your sins this morning? Have you placed your trust in Christ? Do you know that he alone has the power to forgive and free you from the slavery of sin and from the bondage of Satan? Are you serving him in fearlessness and holiness and righteousness today? Why would God do it? We read the text that we read last Sunday because of the tender mercy of our God. The, the, the Greek words here is, is like the, the compassionate mercy, the heartfelt mercy of our God. This is why Christ was sent. I love this by Spurgeon. He says this, remission of sins as a business into, into which the Lord throws his heart. He forgives with an intensity of will and readiness of soul. God made heaven and earth with his fingers, but he gave his son with his heart in order that he might save sinners. The eternal God has thrown his whole soul into the business of redeeming men. If you desire to see God most godlike, it is in the pardon of sin in the saving of men. If you desire to read the character of God written out in capital letters, you must study the visitation of his love in the person of his dear son and all the wonderful works of infinite grace which spring therefrom. I love the way he put that. God created this earth with his hands, but he saves from his heart. This morning... Have you been reconciled to the God who loves? To the God who, in, out of his tender mercy, sent his son to save you? He continues the description of the Messiah, of him who came, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The sunrise, the star. Newton says this, he comes as a star, not as a conducting star, as Matthew 2, but the bright morning star whose approach brings on the day, the day star, the sun, the light of the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. He shall arise and shine. Jesus is the sun, the source of life, light and comfort, the light and life of the world. He who is God, he has come. He left his throne on high. He left his throne in heaven and he came as a servant. He came as a baby and he lived the perfect life. He lived as a servant, Philippians 2 tells us. And as he came, he gave light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The earth is still full of darkness. The earth spiritually is still full of darkness. And as Christ came, he came to a people who were enslaved in sin. To a people who needed to be delivered out of their darkness. The nation of Israel was under the oppression of Rome. But worse, they were enslaved in their sins and awaiting the consequences of their sins, which is 
death. They were under the shadow of death. There's nothing that they were able to do to change their situation. But the light came and he shone in the darkness. But as that light shone, not everyone wanted to come to the light. We read in John chapter 3, 19 and 20, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And so as Christ shines his light into the darkness, there are some people who are like, turn the light off. I don't want to see it. I don't want to be a part of it. Why? Because they love their evil. Because they love the darkness. You and I, as representatives of Jesus Christ, are salt and light today. And we have the opportunity to go into this dark world, this dark world spiritually, and shine his light. Billions of people, picture this, billions of people are groping around in the darkness today, trying to find the way of peace. They can't find it. They cannot find it. And the only way they will find the way of peace is if you tell them the way of peace, that it is through Jesus Christ. If you become a shining light, if you be the shining light and not hide it under a, a, you know, a lampshade, right? Is that what he said? I'm trying to remember the exact wording, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Don't hide your light. If you shine the light as you ought to, as the people of God, as you go out, you have the opportunity to tell people that they can find the way of peace through Jesus Christ. Some will reject it. Will they not? Some are going to say, who are you to tell me the way of light? Even though you're shining the flashlight right before him, right? Even though the answer is right there, they're going to knock that away and they're going to say, I will find the way. I've heard good things about meditation. That's how I'll find my peace. And guess what? They will never find peace. But this morning, if you've never been made right with God, can you, can you hear me? The way of peace is through Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin this morning. Come to the loving God who sent his son and receive forgiveness of sins. This idea of peace, it, it refers to a person's total well-being. It's, it's being in harmony with God. Barclay put it like this, the peace of God that calms our hearts and makes us strong to live for God. It does not mean merely freedom from trouble. Christian, if you've been a Christian, you understand that. Not freedom from trouble, but much, much better. It means that all that makes for a man's highest good. That's what we've been given. What a privilege to be salt and light for Christ's namesake. To proclaim hope through Jesus Christ this Christmas. May we persevere in this task until the sunrise returns one more time. As we think about the darkness that still permeates this earth, I, I was reminded of the fact that, that just as spiritually we get to shine the light in the darkness, one day physically there will be no more darkness. Do you guys know that what I'm talking about? We read in Revelation 22, after the sunrise returns, after the horn of salvation comes one more time, after the Messiah comes to this earth and he creates a new heavens and a new earth, there will be no more sun. There will be no more sun because there will be no more darkness. 
We read in Revelation 22, 20, 22 to 25, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun or mo no moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. The days of darkness are coming to an end because the sun has come and is coming. This week, as you celebrate the incarnation, let us remember the deliverance. Let us remember the plan, the promise, the provision of deliverance. Let us live as God has freed us to live. Let us remember that sin and Satan and death have been defeated. Let us serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness. Let us point people to the Son. Let us be bold for his namesake. As you get together with your relatives, with your neighbors, whoever it is that you get together with, oftentimes it's this time of year you get together with unbelievers. Let us be bold and proclaim deliverance through Jesus Christ, so they might be freed of their darkness, so that they might see light in the way of peace for the glory of the King. Let me pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your plan, your plan of deliverance that was promised so long ago. And God, this morning, we're so thankful that for many here this morning, they have been delivered. That today they are your children. That today sin, Satan, and death no longer has a hold on them. They're no longer enslaved. They're no longer oppressed. But God, now they are your children. And by the power of, their, of your spirit, they are able to now serve you without fear, in holiness and in righteousness. What a gift. Lord, as we are reminded in the text, this gift has been given not just for a day, but for the rest of our lives. This is our privilege, Lord, to, to serve you all of our days. Lord, may it be so. Lord, may we be salt and light for your namesake. May we be quick to point people to the way of peace, which is Jesus Christ. And this morning, I just pray, Lord, if there be anyone here who maybe knows about you, but Lord, they've never been delivered from their sin. They've never recognized and confessed their sin. They've never repented of their sin and placed their trust in you, God, today. Lord, would that be the day for their salvation, for their deliverance, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.